It was the president's last year in office, but his rivals in Congress were determined to force him out prematurely by impeaching him. The president was, in the view of his critics, a racist who had thwarted the will of Congress, violating the law and his oath to uphold the Constitution. He had disgraced the presidency, delivering intemperate and inflammatory remarks and loud threats against duly elected lawmakers. No, we're not talking about Donald Trump here, but Andrew Johnson, the very first president to get impeached. The story of that impeachment is told in a compelling new book, The Impeachers by Brenda Wineapple, that explains how radical Republicans, appalled at Johnson's determined efforts to thwart the granting of civil rights for newly freed African-Americans, were determined to remove him and came within one vote of doing so. In the traditional histories, Johnson's impeachment was legislative overreach, and the senator who tipped the scale, Edmund Ross, was a hero, earning him a whole chapter in then-Senator John F. Kennedy's Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Profiles in Courage. But in Wineapple's telling, Ross's vote to save Andrew Johnson but in Wineapple's telling, Ross's vote to save Andrew Johnson was anything but heroic. He may well have been bribed, she writes, and Johnson's impeachment was a noble endeavor to right grievous wrongs and horrific abuses being inflicted on an oppressed minority. With all eyes in Washington this week on former special counsel Robert Mueller's upcoming testimony, and with as many as 80 Democrats now demanding that the House Judiciary Committee open up impeachment proceedings against Trump, we'll look back at America's first impeachment on this episode of Buried Treasure. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. We now have with us Brenda Wineapple, the author of The Impeachers, The Trial of Andrew Johnson, and The Dream of a Just Nation. Brenda Wineapple, welcome to Buried Treasure. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, so there's so much to talk about in your book. It's really an incredibly compelling read. But I want to start off with the obvious question. <laughs> what prompted you to want to research and write the, a history of the Andrew Johnson impeachment? now? And was it inspired by any current occupant of the uh, Oval Office? I began the book six years ago. The idea of Trump was not even a bad dream at that point. There was no way anybody could have imagined he would be the next president. We were deep in the Obama administration. And if anything, I thought if there's going to be an impeachment coming, people would try to impeach Hillary Clinton. Why not? You know, and because so many people hated her. So well, they, they did with her husband. So Well, they did with her husband, which <laughs> yeah. is another story. So keep it in the family. But in any event, so when I started, it had nothing to do really with current events at all. It was, to me, an event in American history that I knew little about. And I thought, if I'm a fairly, you know, I'm a fairly literate person, I'm a fairly well-educated person, how is it that I don't know anything really about this major event? It's the first ever presidential impeachment. And 
What's even more significant and strange about it, it occurs, you know, really on the heels of the first ever presidential assassination, which itself occurs on the heels of a terrible civil war. So I imagine what was going on in the country? How could that happen at that particular time? And I didn't know the answers to those questions, and I didn't know the answers to the question of why I didn't know about it. And so when, that's what started me. And so when you started to read up on that mm-hmm. event, what did you learn about what the historical narrative was at that particular moment and how it was interpreted over the years by uh, scholars? Well, there are two. there's a kind of popular way of interpreting in the scholarly way, and actually they're pretty much the same, and they converge in John Kennedy's Profiles and Courage, which came out in the late 50s. Was I don't know how it, it must have sold very well, but it was a Pulitzer Prize winner, and obviously Kennedy went on to win the presidency, perhaps partly on the wave of that book, among other things. And in that, with, with, per- with yeah. a lot of uh, heavy lifting by uh, Ted Sorensen yeah. in the writing of the book, which <laughs> well, became a, a, a subject of yeah. litigation. No, exactly. Uh, that exactly. Uh, our former editor uh, Evan Thomas told us about oh, at some really? point. Really? His father was the editor. Of 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 the book. Uh, oh no kidding. Oh my god. Yes, and was actually deposed as part of the lawsuit between Kennedy and Drew Pearson who I oh, think my, had yeah. intimated that the book really, really wasn't was, written by Kennedy, it was yeah. written by Ted Sorensen. As far as we know, he did write his college right. thesis which was published turned into a book and did very well. I think it was, was called PT109. Uh, no, was that well, the book? it was while, while England slept while or while England oh. slept, I think. Anyway, all, all right, right, we all we, right. we digress. That's okay. <laughs> yes. I'm fascinated. That's a podcast That's for. A, I'm fascinated. Um so there's a significant chapter in that about a man named Edmund Ross who's more or less lost to history although the notion of what he did wasn't lost and that is that he stood up against his own party which was the Republican at the time, and he was the deciding vote to acquit Andrew Johnson when Johnson was impeached and then tried in the Senate. So he presumably was this hero who, as I said, stood up against his party, defied what was called the radical Republicans, who, according to Kennedy or Sorensen or or the scholarly community, really, were maniacs, and they wanted to ruin the country, and they wanted to militarize and occupy the South, and so that what really, in a sense, Ross did was save the nation, save Johnson and therefore the nation. When so that was fact, the stop. as you point out, these <laughs> radical Republicans were fighting for equal rights That's for right. uh, the newly freed African-American Absolutely. slaves, were determined to ha- have them get uh, voting rights, yes. uh, equal rights, right. and to stop the attacks, uh, yes. the, the terroristic attacks That's right. of the Ku Klux Klan and other right. diehards from the Confederacy. Right. Against them in the South, right? I mean, what's they were interesting? To protect them. They were trying to protect them in in the simplest way to start, which is just citizenship. Never mind voting rights, which becomes kind of, you know, a contested form. Never mind the confiscation of the land of the planters, the white Southerners, where these people had worked and sort of dividing it up and giving, you know, redistributing the wealth in that sense. Never mind all those things. The basic right of due process of citizenship, which ultimately became the 14th Amendment. That's what they stood for. And what's interesting to me is that, in a sense, from my point of view, they were visionaries. You know, they they're, they seem so contemporary in I was saying ways. to Mike exactly yeah. this before, and I, and 
I want you to mm-hmm. uh, back up and just tell the story of uh, Andrew Johnson, mm-hmm. his rise to power, and then sure. the impeachment. But I was saying to Mike before the podcast, what's so extraordinary about some of these radical Republicans, Thaddeus mm-hmm. Stevens, mm-hmm. Um, Charles, Sumner. Charles Sumner, is that if you transpose their words with some of the progressives uh, today, today yeah. the language might be a little more ornate, but it's essentially the same words, right. the same sentiments. And it's amazing how forward thinking they were. I know. But, but let's talk about yeah. Andrew Johnson. Who he... was he? Where did he come from? How did he? Uh, well, we know how he rose to the presidency, but what was his yeah. political rise? And then we'll talk about uh, what he did uh, to inspire the action that the Congress right. uh, ultimately took. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, there are two things interesting about Johnson. One is that he was really very poor. He came from as much or as worse, in a sense, poverty that we associated with Lincoln and, you know, the log cabin and all that. But Johnson, as a boy, was uh, was apprenticed out. He became an indentured servant, which is only one rung. I mean, it's an important rung, but it's a rung above slavery, which means that he is owned by the person that he's farmed out to, which happened to be a tailor. It's where he learned his trade. So he really came from absolute poverty in this sense. He ran away. There was a wanted sign, as if he had been a fugitive of sorts. And he worked his way up into politics, which was in a sense a way for a white person, white male, to change class. And he was able to do that. He had some money. And in fact, when he got some money, he actually went and bought slaves, you know, as a kind of mark of his rise in status, even though the planter, the aristocracy, would never accept him. So that's one aspect. The other aspect that's so interesting about him, to all of us really, is that he is the only United States senator from the South who stood up and opposed secession, which, if you want to profile and courage, strangely enough, is a very courageous thing to do. I mean, when you think of the sort of known senator at the time, like Jefferson Davis, they were horrified that Johnson said in no uncertain terms, I'm against secession. You know, this is, it'll destroy the union. I am for the union and I love the Constitution. So he was reviled in the South and he was beloved in the North. And in fact, he was considered what was called a war Democrat. It was a different party than Lincoln's. So when sort of fast forwarding, when Lincoln um, was afraid, he was actually afraid in 1864 that he would be not elected. He wanted to sort of what we think of today as balance the ticket. Because so, his first, because Lincoln's first vice president was someone else, some guy Hannibal named Hannibal. Hamlet. Right? <laughs> Hannibal I Hamlet. Just remember, Hannibal, Hannibal is what you remember. remember okay. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was a, he's not a, that a, Hannibal. He, he, he was a good guy. He was a yeah. good guy. But he was and a Republican. He, and he was a Republican. And he was in you know was anti-slavery. He had all the right things, but. But he didn't bring anything new to the ticket. So if you want a Southerner and a Democrat, especially if you're running against Big General McClellan and you weren't winning the war at the time, things changed. You put Andrew Johnson on the ticket. So and, and you know, like everyone, um, even during wartime, even Lincoln didn't really think he was going to be killed. No president had been assassinated. And a, and a, a vice president is innocuous. So. So, so Johnson that's becomes president, yes. and what does he do to 
um, uh, get the ire of the radical Republicans well. in Congress. Well, yeah. everybody's happy. Right? Every, you know, yeah. it's a it's a smooth transition of power. You just had a war. You've got a dead president. You know, shot by a southern. It's an awful time. It's very smooth transition. He keeps the cabinet. He said, "I'm against treason." So everybody, probably not so much in the South, but certainly in the North, they were appeased. They felt he was going to be okay. The interesting thing then too is Congress was in recess. Congress goes into recess for these long periods. So Johnson is, this is in April of 1865, Congress not going back to December of 1865. So he has got a lot of time to do whatever he wants, which is to say, welcome the South, welcome these so-called traitors, welcome the secessionists, welcome the 11 Confederate states back into the Union. This sort of explodes the heads, not just of, you know, radical Republicans, but Republicans. What did we fight for? Why would we let these people write back in? What are the terms? Congress is supposed to set the terms, the conditions of those of its own members, the qualifications. And Johnson was overriding that. He was putting people back into office, into public office, who had been Confederates high up in the Confederacy if they got a pardon from him. So it's a sort of power play, and he's giving about 100 pardons a day. And he didn't call a special um, uh, a special session of Congress. Right. So he was and letting... That's starters. Le- that's le- just starters. Right. Letting the Confederates back in. But he was also, as you point out, yeah. even though he was a war Democrat, a racist, yeah. who had no intention of right. granting citizenship or equal rights Never to African Americans. Right. right. He said, and it was appalling to people in his own time, which is interesting and to me important, not just for today, but he said, this is, you know, this is a, a white man's government, and he intended to keep it a white we'll man's government. Africanizing half the nation. And he, he yeah, said, Mexicanizing right? is what he said, actually. So what goes around comes around in terms right. of, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of, you know, sort of short-sighted, bigoted behavior. So, yeah, he was determined. He had never been anti-slavery. He had never been for any kind of equal rights. He felt that slavery was better protected within the Union. So it wasn't, he, he, he didn't also want to get rid the, of slavery. the interesting epistemological argument that the South never actually oh, left that. the Union. So that. therefore, yeah, of That's course, right. That's there, right. there was no problem letting them back in. They because weren't they letting them back left. in because and they he, were and still. Think, and Thaddeus yeah. Stevens said, That's like but, saying murders against the law, so this person didn't kill that person. Right. You know? Because That's, under the Constitution, you could not secede. So yeah. therefore, or whatever it, it was happen. the South did, it, it wasn't secession. Yeah, it didn't happen. Sort of logic. So, right. I mean, yeah. the, the yeah. illogic of and that. And yet he also supported emancipation, right? He he, ha- he was forced to. I yeah. mean, basically, Lincoln, who was this kind of master craftsman when it came to politics, got him in a position where he had to in a certain sense. I mean, because he was the military governor, Lincoln appointed military governor of um, Tennessee. And and Lincoln basically said, don't you think it would be great for propaganda value and so forth and so on. Right. What so triggers going... impeachment? What does he do well, that what finally inspires happens... the Republicans to try to get <laughs> remove him from office? One thing that's interesting about this for today in a certain sense is that especially the radicals had been trying for a while. In other words, this didn't happen overnight. It was a kind of slow burn and there were votes. The impeachment went into the Judiciary Committee for an investigation. They voted against it. Then they voted for it. Then the House voted against it. So nothing really was happening until Johnson actually violated a law. And the law he violated had been passed to protect 
the white Southerners and African Americans who were given voting rights in the South by the Republican Congress. And because there had been so much violence in the South perpetrated by white people against what were called, you know, white Republicans or loyalists and all blacks, that Congress acted in such a way as to divide the South into military zones and send the military down to the South to protect those people when they went to the polls, right? This is a very kind of modern thing in a certain sense. And in charge of the military was U.S. Grant and Edwin Stanton, who was the Secretary of War. So Congress then knew that Johnson was firing people left and right. They wanted to protect Stanton. They passed the Tenure of Office Act, which protected a civil officer like a cabinet member who'd been approved by the Senate. So if you'd been approved by the Senate, your firing had to similarly be approved by the Senate. That was all the law was. Johnson violated the law. And then once you actually do that and thumb your nose at Congress, then the sort of lukewarm Republicans, those who hadn't been very excited about impeachment, thinking it was a, you know, a bridge too far, finally they said, we can't take this anymore. And they voted overwhelmingly to impeach Andrew Johnson. That was in February 1868. And he lost a lot of Democratic support as well. He had, he had he very little Democrat yeah. support by yeah. that time because by that time he'd been campaigning. This is this blows your mind too. He had been campaigning against the Fourteenth Amendment. Campaigning against the Fourteenth Amendment. He he had vetoed the civil rights legislation. He vetoed legislation left and right. Congress over passed these vetoes, but to enshrine just to enshrine citizenship and due process, the Fourteenth Amendment. Johnson stood against it, and the Democrats, his own party, said. Just say you're for it. Just, just you know, cool yourself a little bit so that you can be more politically savvy, and he wouldn't do it. He's so most of the articles man. of impeachment that were voted yeah. in 1865 were about the tenure, violating the, the tenure of violation. office act, right. which, by the way, the Supreme Court later found was yeah. unconstitutional. Listen, Edwin uh, Stanton thought it was unconstitutional. And, and, I mean, and, and it was ultimately repealed. And Johnson had a pretty good point, which is that he didn't appoint Stanton. Lincoln, Lincoln had appointed. It was so fuzzy he was language. removing somebody who had actually been nominated by a previous president. And and ratified by a previous right, Congress. Right. Yeah, but you know, these are sort of legalistic arguments. And since there were Republicans like Thaddeus Stevens and Charles Sumner who sort of saw down the line a little bit and they knew legalistically it was dicey, what they wanted to indict and remove Johnson on was the basis of his, what we would call today, you know, pure, unadulterated racism and his inciting violence, basically. But and he'd been they... doing that. He even said members of Congress should be hanged. I mean, imagine, and this, this is an 18. Well, Article 10, which is my favorite article, <laughs> is the, the one articles. that charges Johnson, says Johnson, quote, did attempt to bring into disgrace, ridicule, hatred, contempt, and reproach the Congress <laughs> of the United States and to excite the odium and resentment of all the good people of the United States against the laws passed by Congress. This sounds quite familiar. Mm -hmm. In one of his speeches, Johnson was accused of delivering 
with a loud voice and certain intemperate, inflammatory, and scandalous harangues and uttering, quote, loud threats and bitter menaces against the country's lawmakers amid the cries, jeer, and laughter of the multitudes then assembled. It was it's true. a Trump rally. It's a, if no, only, if I only know. he had a Twitter account. Yeah. yeah. Well, he basically did because there were so many, it's not like today, there were so many newspapers and there were so many journalists, even Mark Twain. You know, people were covering this all the time and they could immediately telegraph the news of these stories, you know, to By the a way, national press. Yeah. Was the the French reporter George Clemenceau? That's the same one. The same one. Yeah. Who Future beca- Prime Minister. Minister. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. In yeah. World War One. World, 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 World War One. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's sort um, of, yeah. He was a young journalist in America. Yeah, and in talk about far seeing, he's another one of these people who sort of got what was going on. Yeah. But okay, at the end but, of the day, let me let me ask yeah. you this because <laughs> the impeachment is in the end fought over process and legalisms right. and it gets a little bogged down in some of those kinds of issues. And it it's does. not fought on Thaddeus Stevens' terms. Right. Um, broad terms. Broad terms. And why was that? Uh was that uh Politically untenable. Why did they not, in the end, fight it on 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 those broader uh, grounds? Broader grounds? Yeah. It's an interesting question. And Johnson was able to amass really brilliant lawyers like William Everett and a person who had been on the Supreme Court. You know, so that he had these wonderful lawyers. And you have to remember, you mentioned the tenth impeachment article. Nine out of the eleven were very legalistic, mm-hmm. and the tenth and the eleventh were the only ones that were much, much broader. And you know, oddly enough, the managers, that's what the prosecutor, the House prosecutors right. were called, um, basically um, they argued in legalistic ways, which was a nightmare because, as Mike, you point out, there are so many ways in which you can say he didn't really violate the Tenure of Office Act because it's it doesn't apply to him or he was just testing his constitutionality, which I think is a bogus argument. But in any event, so they really foundered on that. And ironically, the broader arguments about preservation of the office was made by Johnson's attorneys. And that was very appealing to many what was people. Their well, the dignity of the office that you can't take the Tenth Amendment, uh, take an article yeah. that you mentioned that where he said, you know, said to harangue thing, haranguing mm-hmm. things. I read the transcripts. They, they, they're really unbelievable because they say, how do you know he said this? Because it was only a journalist there taking down <laughs> notes. Can we <laughs> yeah, see your well, notes? You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So that and what about free speech? You right. know, and so all of but those kinds of this, arguments. This strikes me as you know, probably the most important lesson mm. uh, or issue from your book, which is what constitutes an impeachable offense. Yeah. This was the first time yeah. that the Congress was really grappling with that. Yeah. And was it about violating a specific law? Is that what high crimes and misdemeanors means? means? Right. Or is it something broader? Abuse, abuse of office. Abuse of power. You, abuse you, of power. Yeah, the way That's right. The way right. Alexander Hamilton defines mm-hmm. it and in it the Federalist Papers. from reading your book yeah. that despite <clears throat> the wishes of some of the Thaddeus Stevens and, mm-hmm. and Summers, it was really fought on these very narrow, narrow grounds right. yeah. of illegality. Right. And that has set the tone for impeachment ever since. Well, it's interesting because the Clinton impeachment, as I recall, was it was argued now narrowly in the House, which was why he was impeached. But in the Senate, it was broader. 
you know, I mean, in well, other the words, yes, the Senate rejected the narrow, yes, exactly, offense. That's but, right, and in a certain sense, that's exactly what was happening with Johnson. They were saying it does not rise his action against the Tenure of Office Act and all of these sort of legalistic things that they said he did do not rise to this particular level for impeachment. So, in that particular sense, it's possible had the managers been different or whatever. I mean, it's hard to do hypotheticals or counterfactual, but if they had kept the argument that what Johnson was doing is taking the country in a direction that completely undermined what the war had stood for and what the country had stood for and the declaration, you know, of independence where all people are created equal, if they had stayed at that level, it's very possible it's possible that they may have had a better chance. But you have to also remember there were other factors, too. There were sort of extraneous factors like money changing hands and people who were involved behind the scenes pulling what strings. I, okay, so I, I, you mentioned money changing hands, money, and I, I want to come back to Edmund Ross, who, you uh, know, when I first learned about the Johnson impeachment from yeah. reading Profiles in Courage, he was a heroic character mm-hmm. who saved the presidency from these fanatical Republicans. By the way, I, I just have, here's a quote from Profiles in Courage by Kennedy describing Stevens as the crippled fanatical personification of the extremes of the radical Republican movement. I this know. is a guy who was fighting for equal, equal rights, rights for, for all and, people, for all people. who but, refused but to be buried, to who refused to be buried in a cemetery that wasn't integrated. Right. So, but back Amazing. to Ross. JFK portrays him as a hero, profile and courage. You point out that there was a, it was a <laughs> lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, you And you introduce a character I had never heard of, a woman named Vinnie Ream. Vinnie Ream. <laughs> and you quote a tip that was given to Benjamin Wade, who was the president pro tem and would have been in line to secede Johnson if right. he was and nobody convicted. wanted him. He was too radical. If the impeachment managers could make Vinnie Ream tell the truth, yeah. they could find out just what made Senator Ross vote not guilty. <laughs> what sex and <laughs> money? What it sort of comes uh, tell all us down who Vinnie to, Ream right? was and Vinnie what her Ream relationship was, a, was, was with Edmund was Ross. Was an artist sculptress who, and she she had she lived with her family, her parents, and was basically a boarding house because you know senators then and now they don't have a place to live so they take rooms but but they were confederate sympathizers basically and her brother-in-law was a was a kind of huckster from the midwest who was involved with um, fleecing Native Americans. And so there was a lot of money changing hands, and, and Edmund Ross was enamored of Vinnie uh, Ream, as other people were, evidently. She was, um, even Mark Twain said she was, you know, nobody could say no to her. <laughs> Some, <laughs> Vinnie had to a the faculty idea. for catching the fancy of elder men, mm. uh, her biographer wrote. Right, yes, right. right. And, yeah. and he was very right. generous to her in, in a <laughs> right. certain sense. So there was that, but just to also remember. So there was sex, there was money, and there was also the Republicans, particularly the moderates, wanted to make sure Ulysses S. Grant was going to be elected. 
And to get him elected, you had to get rid of Benjamin Wade, who stood, as you said, in line to be the next president if Andrew Johnson were removed. And he was a radical. He was an Ohio radical who believed in terrible things like women voting, even. I mean, that's how radical he was. <laughs> wow. and, you know, imagine that. You know, forget we citizenship. You know, very, yeah. very yes. scary, yeah. very scary. Dangerous stuff. In yes. that sense. So the, there were a lot of there were a lot of mitigating factors. You know, I'm sure there always are, but in a sense, you also have to deal with the fact that had the Republicans, the managers, been able to argue on the broader terms, it may not have flown in the way we would have liked it to because you also are dealing with a kind of a prejudiced population in the Senate. There's no way around that, really. Just because the managers mm-hmm. right. weren't, and just because the you know these radical Republicans they were out of step. They were really with... out of step with the way the country, as we know, certainly went. But and, there yeah. was this moment when, if they could have wrested power, in a sense, from Andrew Johnson and from the more moderates, who, by the way, became. The, Repu- the liberal Republicans who became the Republican Party of today. That suggests they clearly understood that impeachment was a, a political act and a political process. It is. And that actually brings up another interesting yeah. historical echo to today, which is that I think leading up to impeachment, there, there was a lot of opposition from Republican leaders. They were afraid that impeaching Johnson would turn him into a martyr right. for his supporters. And that has, uh, it sounds like the kind of thing that uh, Nancy right. Pelosi has said. <laughs> Right, but I think well, I mean, I, I, it's it's not my place really to get into current politics. That's well, your we'll place, that. but you can do that. <laughs> but I think that that was a, a very weak argument. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it seems to me a stronger argument today um, than it was then because, and this is interesting. I get this question a couple of times, you know, when I go out sort of promoting the book, and it is, did Andrew Johnson have a base? So right. I know what people are asking when they ask me that. And and the real answer is not entirely. I mean, he had, of course, some people, but it wasn't a really wide base, as we said. Even his own party found him toxic. He wasn't nominated by the Democrats in 1868. And they nominated somebody who you could argue in was a sense— Was even more racist, exactly, actually. Exactly. It was right? far yeah. worse yeah. and didn't mm-hmm. have a prayer, um, you know. So— I, Final question. Sure. Um, I, I know you don't want to get too much into the politics of today, but what is the lesson that we should draw from the uh, experience of the Andrew Johnson impeachment as the Congress and the country grapples with what should be done about President Trump? Well, you know, obviously— I wish I had either a crystal ball or what I would consider a really good answer, and I don't. But there are a couple of things I could say. One is that it's very hard. It's very hard to not so much even to impeach but to acquit and, I mean, to to convict, Convict. convict in the Senate. And I think that's what is being foundered on today, that there is a problem. But at the same time, even though... In 1868, the people who impeached Andrew Johnson thought they had one argument was made that they wouldn't have done it if they didn't feel they have the votes and they lost those votes. So if they felt they had the votes and lost them anyway, you can see how hard it is. However, there's a way in which what they did is so principled, you know, and and I don't think you need to separate principles from politics because I do think 
and I think it's written into the Constitution, and Stevens argues that, of course, impeachment is a political act. How can it not be? But not in the narrow sense of, oh, you're just being partisan, which was how it then historically became understood, but political in the sense that we are thinking of the good of the nation and the larger body politic, you know? And I think that that was a kind of heroic thing to be able to do. Um, but the difference with today is... The Republicans had Ulysses S. Grant standing in the wings. He had become radicalized by Andrew Johnson. He couldn't stand the kind of terrorism and violence that was being perpetrated on the South by white Southerners. He wanted to stop it. And he and the Republicans knew he had a great chance of being elected, and they didn't want to rock that boat. So they had somebody waiting in the wings. That right. makes a big difference. Right. Well, it's <laughs> a great read, and uh, it couldn't be more relevant to uh, events today. So, Brenda Wineapple, thanks for the book, and thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. It's fun. Thanks to author and historian Brenda Wineapple for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>